I'm Will Patch, host of the Enrollment Insights Podcast and Enrollment Marketing Leader here. I'm thankful to all of you who have listened and the surprising volume of positive feedback I've gotten over these past nine months. To end the year, I've pulled together some of my favorite segments with guests on three themes, professional development and leadership, marketing and communications, and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I hope you enjoy this format, and here's to a much better and safer 2021. I have a very controversial opinion, which I think everyone is an expert on marketing because everyone is being marketed to. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, whether or not they have the pedigree to go with it is not relevant because they are, at the end of the day, people who will be consuming your content, whether willingly or unwillingly. I think it's important to come from that perspective and not dismiss people's ideas and opinions. Of course, there are ideas and opinions that don't fit in the plan or don't fit in the strategy or just are nuts. (laughs) But I think it's important to give them the space and airtime. I would rather hear a dozen ideas that are wacky and completely unrealistic than miss the one very important feedback that will change my strategy for the better. Too many cooks in the kitchen can definitely be an issue, but in order for the banquet to come out right, you sometimes need them. It doesn't mean that you have to let them hold the pots and pans. They can look and direct you and take a look at all the ingredients. And I'm running amok with this analogy (laughs) because I'm having fun with it. Good marketing, I think, will always be a heavier lift on the side of the team. For higher education specifically, I think it's worth it just because it's such a unique product. You're asking your students to spend a not insignificant portion of their lives on your campus, online or in person. It's an incredible financial investment. A lot of emotions go into this decision for both the students and their families. So they deserve more effort and more attention from the side of the people who are trying to get them there. So as marketers and communicators, you have a responsibility to these students and families to give them your best because this is a significant investment that they're looking to make. Your brand for your institution really has nothing to do with what you say it is. Although there's a lot of really important branding and marketing efforts going on and and investing in brand awareness is an excellent investment. At the end of the day, what your brand is in reality is what other people say it is. It's that prevailing sentiment of word of mouth, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of this particular institution. And if you are not paying attention to what other people are saying, you are dismissing that person or that group of people's influence on your brand with other people like them. Listening is, at least the way I think about listening, is really more of this holistic collection of data when people are talking not just to you, but about you or about that topic that you're interested in, and being able to analyze it in many different ways rather than just looking at individual lines on a spreadsheet. I like that. I'm hearing it as the distinction between listening to someone and hearing them, being adjacent to the conversation and really engaging. I love it. You know, people in who work in branding don't use the phrase short term very often, right? Because branding is sort of a, a, a long term game. It's a long term play. It's always about the long term. Attending to your brand is more acute right now than ever because all of our situations are, are so different without, you know, potentially most of our students not being on campus. Brand is about culture and personality and culture and personality develop and are fostered and come through 
whether you're in the same room or not. It's something that they need to attend to much more intentionally now than they ever have. And they need to lean into what they've always been and what they've always been doing. They don't need to change, right? I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we think, well, our situation is all different. We need a whole new strategy. I think that's actually the opposite when it comes to branding. Everything has changed, so we need to lean into who we've always been. You know, but that has to be intentional. I mean, if you think about the way that students are connecting with faculty and the type of experience that they're having, I mean, we need to, you know, really think differently about what that looks like, what it feels like, you know? I mean, it's all new, and yet it's all the same, (laughs) you know, all at the same time, um, which I'm not even sure if that makes sense. I would caution institutions from trying to be something different than they are. Like I said, brains are about the long-term, they're about authenticity. And so I think in these really, really challenging and unique times, institutions just really need to be honest, lean into what they've always been, embrace that, celebrate it, find new ways to bring it to life, you know, in a remote learning environment and keep their eye on the long-term, not the short-term. In, in higher ed, especially, brand equals culture. You know, I think if you have a really, really well-defined culture, an expression of that culture in your branding that even now without a physical experience, you've got an opportunity to be able to demonstrate how that comes through. I think one of the most immediately sort of evident examples of that is, is UCLA. I mean, they had a terrific brand strategy built all around sort of the notion of optimism and, you know, looking at things in the, in the sunny LA kind of way. You know, so how are they bringing optimism to the current situation, right? And how is their culture now online ultimately, you know, going to still reflect that that level of optimism? You know, this the notion of sort of like trying to uh, step back and be something now that you weren't pre-pandemic, I think is is challenging where schools have an opportunity right now is to really confirm and affirm their their reputations by what they're doing and and the choices that they're making. This past year, I was on 35 for email and print. I I think our first step really was just to, A, get on the list, right? And then figure out what we're going to make out of it from there. From a qualitative standpoint, and there's a little quantitative part to this also, one of the things we did, which I thought was real helpful, um, because certainly you can measure emails, for instance, in the, in terms of quantity, and nobody sends out more emails than St. Ben's and St. John's, it turns out. <laughs> we win that rate. Also trying to look at the quality of that experience. And so I had a student uh, employee uh, go through all the emails we received from the different colleges, and uh, we put them into three different categories. Um, and just because we really wanted to use all P's for the beginning, we went with process, promotional, and personal. So the process focused were the just the emails that were apply and visit. You can apply. You can apply tomorrow. They says you, you know you didn't apply yesterday, so maybe you can apply today. Um, promotional focused were the key brand messages, product offerings, that sort of thing. And then the part that really was more interesting of interest to me was how many of them were really focused on the spe- student's specific personal interest. And when I filled out the inquiry forms, I made sure that I gave the students some academic and extracurricular interests. What I really found, and I was really actually quite surprised with maybe a Shuntaban, is how little the personal focused emails are sent. There were institutions that certainly have much, much larger marketing budgets and staffs than, than we have. And uh, 
absolutely nothing for this particular student's academic extracurricular interests. St. Ben's and St. John's, it turned out we are about a third of each, which I guess we could argue would, you know, it's better or worse, but a third of each seemed like a really pretty nice uh, pie chart to me. So one thing we do is uh, try to use the CRM as well as we can, you know, pre-populating forms. If, if we're sending a student an email, chances are we already have the basic info about them. So we can pre-populate that form based on a custom link. And then they click that link and they go in, they see it already halfway filled out. That gives them the opportunity to maybe correct something that has changed. Maybe they moved or have a different phone number. But also they don't have to re-enter it. So even though we're, we're asking for it for the new people, we're simplifying that experience um, for those who are already in. Ultimately, I, I think it just really comes back to, are you asking something that you don't actually need at that moment? I love emails. I think they have tremendous potential. I think they also have tremendous potential to be really annoying. So a big thing that I use to measure the effectiveness of the emails that I create for institutions where I am is, is it getting people to do the thing that we want them to do? And that immediately separates your emails into two. One's transactional, you want them to take a specific action, apply now, or informational, where you're just letting them know what's going on, or you are showing them a portion of your institution, your community, and who you are, and nourishing that relationship. And I think both have very unique measurements that you can use to see how effective they are. And I think for transactional emails, it's obviously, did they click? My personal struggle with transactional emails that have a clear CTA or a call to action is that a lot of leaders want to see, did they open it? Did they open it? A high open rate is good. You also want to make sure that your audience is taking the action that the email is sending them to do. So not only did they open, but did they also click? Because that's the most important thing. And if they didn't click, if you have a high open rate, but they didn't take the action, what is something about the content that you could change for the next time to drive them to take the action? You are assuming that you're following good email send practices and you're sending your emails to audiences who you know will likely take this action. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sending them the email. You should be asking, you know, is this outreach simple? Is it unexpected? Is it concrete? Is it credible? Is it playing on their emotions? And are, are we using stories to tell, to tell our story? I especially like unexpected. And I, we certainly have to give our audience what they expect. And I know there are a lot of good advisors that will say, I need to find these minimal things. I, when a cop, we know that when a student goes to your website, they want to know, you know, how much does it cost? Can I major in what I want to major in there? And answer these basic questions. And that's the expected. And clearly, we have to be doing that. But as we go up that pyramid, really your, your website, your outreach, really to be successful also has to give them much more than they expect. And that's where it gets to be real challenging because if you go to a lot of places, not just the website, the emails, the print flow, the real challenge is how does your product give them something more than they expected or in the case of price, maybe less than expected. If your brand really is all about outcomes, your storytelling is going to be directly about that and some of the product choices that you may choose to do, like supporting students right now that can't co-op, you're supporting them with other kinds of you know, direct professional experience. That's a reflection of the brand and who you are. It's just a different way than higher education is, is typically used to, to telling that story.
right? It uses a different type of thing. You know, and, and I would tell you, Will, 30 years ago when I was just starting work in college admission, it, it, I can remember having arguments with people on our staff where we just wanted to send out one more postcard telling students that they can apply. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, students know they can apply. You need to tell them why they should apply. The flip coin of that, something that I I think the corporate recruiting side does better, and I wish we saw a little bit more in in the higher ed side, is just a a level of urgency that exists in this space. There's a lot of pressure in enrollment overall, Mm -hmm. but I think what we're lacking is urgency and a sense of, okay, what are we going to do? Here's where we're at. What are we going to do to adapt? How can we change quickly? How can we make things move a little bit faster? Institutionally, there are, of course, you know, different potential blocks, but those exist in the corporate world, too. There are just more conversations. There's more sponsorship of, of leadership. And I think, again, from the top down, there's more accountability. And that very well could start with the, the VP of enrollment. But I, I always say, why? What is your goal? If you don't understand your goals as a department, as an individual, as an organization, your social media is not going to be successful. So being able to identify those goals, setting them for yourself, setting some data benchmarks, and then understanding the different social media platforms that can help you reach those goals can only really benefit you. Now, I'm not a believer in the traditional communication or traditional admission funnel anymore. With the pressure to get more inquiries, one of the things we did as we faced pressure to work with an outside vendor is we took uh, certain students who met certain criteria and categorized them such that some would get mailings and some would not get mailings. We created a category called Prospect Plus, which uh, in those cases, we treated the students as inquiries while they were actually still prospects. Um, It's one of those cases, I would say, where in the end, we found out that uh, mailing uh, didn't matter to these students. Obviously, you want to have someone, you you never want to be the only person looking at your communications. There should always, always, always be a second, third, fourth pair of eyes looking at what you've created before it launches. You should always talk to people who you're creating the content for, even if it's just one person, even if you can only get one current student to take a look at this new poster that you've made and get their feedback. Because then if they catch something that you never thought of before. And so in the planning stages for communications, I think it's important to include as many stakeholders that have a hand in the pie as you can. We created personas. So we created some simple ones, um, one on international students, one on local students, and one on domestic students that are coming in from nationally. And through that, we are able to understand how they need to do better with moving resources around in the recruitment and retention. When they saw that the website was a great place to showcase stories of the different students in the the faculty, that if they took their diverse student population and started creating videos that talked about their experience in the program and afterwards as alumni, that these could really show everyone how to have a path for success during the program and beyond. And one of the things that we saw that came out of the session is that wherever they were in the 
recruitment phase and the retention yield phase and the orientation phase around the current student phase, the representation of the program through social media and the online was always authentic. It always matched. The people matched. The activities that they did looked fun from a prospective student. And when they got there, they were fun. They saw that the program encouraged them to socialize and link together. And because of that, future students and future alumni could speak to their experiences. Faculty could talk about that authentic representation. And when people come to the social media website, they're able to interact and see this authentic representation of diversity and inclusion. We go through these phases of buzzwords in marketing. I mean, a couple years ago, 10 years ago, it was the word viral. Then it was, you know, oh, we got to have video. I feel like the new buzzword is content. Everybody recognizes the importance of content, but even within marketing, I think we have a hard time of defining what like content strategy means. At UW, we have a really interesting setup in that we recently, in the last four or five years, we moved from kind of a decentralized model to a centralized model. So we have marketing specialists who uh, serve almost every single one of our colleges. They actually sit on the enrollment marketing team, which is fantastic. And so what we're really trying to do is work through what content strategy looks like. I'm a big fan of like the hub and spoke models and building off of that and then pulling in our faculty and pulling in our leadership to support those different pieces of the uh, spoke. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, that's like my favorite. I'm a super nerd when it comes to things like that. So it's pulling in the faculty and the um, the leadership when needed. It's also these marketing specialists are essentially like our people who are on the ground collecting our storytelling. So they're also great about being the ones to recognize when we might have something that could be built out into a larger piece of content. Five or six years ago, if you had asked me, because I came to UW almost six years ago, if you had asked me, you know, where we were at in terms of marketing, we were a good 15 years behind where we should have been. The marketing department really functioned as a brand shop. You know, they put out the magazine, they did social media, they had the website, but there wasn't a lot of strategic thought around, you know, what it meant to market a gigantic land grant university. Reactive social media doesn't involve planning at all. And reactive marketing strategy doesn't involve planning. So if you find that your organization is trending more towards reactive, really try to encourage a shift to proactive social media strategy and structure. But to remember that social media strategy doesn't just live with the social media strategist or you know the, the person who's responsible for social. It should be at every level of your organization. If you can't pinpoint a strategy, that's a problem. And you need to sit down with your teams and say, okay, what what are our goals? And then how do we get there? You're not going to be given the space if you don't, one, take it, and two, make sure that others understand why you need that space. Intentional, intentional, intentional. At our open house events, I make it my business to 
walk to the tables, walk around the tables um, where the families are having breakfast and connecting with each other and, and just kind of share who I am and what I do. I mean, they know my title, but they don't know me. That's what I try to do to be intentional at, at our recent admitted student event. I try to take out time to attend some of those parent sessions. So we break up our students from their parents. And so parents have a very different set of questions than their students do. Their students are asking about the food on campus and the guys are looking at the girls and the girls, the guys, <laughs> you know, kind of that kind of thing. Um, whereas the parents are like, now what? You know, and there's a certain level of anxiety that comes with that for the families who have done this a couple of times. Then it's not that the anxiety is completely gone, but they want to know that you have their students' best interest at heart. And for the families who they're now, this is the first time that it's an empty nest. What, what do I do? You know, so to be able to kind of be intentional in my outreach to them, I do email our families a bit. There are messages that I craft that are specifically to the family. And then there's messages that I craft that are specifically to the student. Both are different, but they still have the same tone and, and uh, call to action, if you will, depending on where we are in the cycle. I'm trying to create more experiences for our families to to remember more than just transactional interactions, because you can transact with anybody. But if the experience is one of of respect, one that is memorable, you know, power of moments that that is huge for me. With everything that we're facing in the midst of of this situation with with the coronavirus and such, it's going to be more about that connectivity and that just genuineness and authenticity. Because I can connect with people, but you have to be able to kind of connect on a different level if they can't be right in front of you. And so, what does that look like? And and I don't know that I have all the answers for that. I I like to say real knows real. If you're going to communicate with a family, man, just be authentic. Speak to what is happening right now, but also speak to the the fact that you're here to serve them. And I think that that's where we lose sight of things. We think that we earn title and we earn position and now people are here to serve me. And I'm in this position to serve others. Mm -hmm.